0: Amber, aren't you so excited to talk about your favorite tabletop of RPG of all
1: time, Dungeons & Dragons? I love Dungeons & Dragons. Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition is the best tabletop role-playing game in the entire world. No notes. Yes, and my favorite cinema
0: is Marvel movies.
1: (laughs) I really think the Marvel movies to D&D comparison is really funny, because... In some ways, it kind of undersells the d and thing. Like, it would be not... It's, like, not just that Marvel movies are the most popular movies in the world. It's also, like, a world in which people aren't aware that other movies exist as, a like, a, like a form. And also, I, I do like a lot of the Marvel movies. <laughs> you know that about me. <laughs> We're both unabashed...
0: Marvel heads,
1: Mar I think heads. that most of them are pretty good. Most
0: of them are good. We'll talk more about it in an episode, because today's episode is about Pathfinder, an episode
1: of what? Amber, what's the podcast? Great question. This is the original podcast, Do Not Steal, a weekly podcast in which every week Devin and I, um, and sometimes but not always a third person, um, take your favorite and or least favorite intellectual properties, and we make an original character in that property. And today, we are talking about Pathfinder. Um, Which is not Dungeons & Dragons. It's a different thing. Despite me having picked it, it's ostensibly a, an
0: Amber Autumn talkie episode, probably, because Amber's been getting more into, like, the specific lores of Pathfinder as the campaign she has been playing has gone on. But if you're a longtime fan, you'll remember we set up coming back to Pathfinder to fill out our party because that was an episode we did and it worked really well and it was a lot of fun. So we already have three party members. We have Malawi, my shark man who wants to be a better dad but doesn't have the tools to and is trying to reconnect with his son and grandson. We've got Princess Penelope, a wayward princess who wants to Bless be a her. detective but is very bad at hiding that. And Bless her. S- what did you say? Bless her. Bless her to death. And we have Spoon, Amber's, I believe, automaton with a... A lot of Mm hang-ups about what nature is and his place and relationship to that and humanity. That's the first half of the party. How these episodes work is I make a character in isolation. Amber makes a character in isolation. We find the things, the reason these people would be connected. Then we both make a character in combination, how the podcast usually works. And then we'll have a full party. And eventually we'll have another episode where we come back to Pathfinder and it will be about dming and we'll talk about how to dm and our philosophy on that and what we do with these characters It'll be fun yeah it will be fun i have an addendum i'd like to bring up about i think just princess penelope now that i'm thinking about it would you like that before or after i give you the floor to talk for a while about pathfinder
1: do it now okay one
0: second i don't think it's ever been known in spaces but like the little people races goblins gnomes, halflings, dwarves, they bore me to tears. I've never once picked a gnome. (laughs) They're boring. Who wants to play a gnome? That being said, they're very I'm about to
1: change your mind this episode. I'm going to change your mind. (laughs) I'm going to do it. That that
0: being said, they're Fundamentals to, to fantasy: Halflings are just legally not hobbits because they don't want to get sued by the Tolkien estate. And if I'm reading mm-hmm. a Dragonlance book and there's no Kender on the cover, I will be upset. So, Amber, how would you feel if we made Princess Penelope one of the one of the little people races—a dwarf, a gnome, a goblin? How, how do you feel about that?
1: I love that. Um. So. Uh. Yeah. So your three options there, um, are. So you have dwarves, and dwarves are kind of the most traditional out of them. Dwarves changed have changed very little from Tolkien to all the way to Pathfinder. Um, they're dwarves. They're exactly what you would expect. Um, they live in the ground. They hunt jewels. I mean, they don't as they they went on a quest for the sky. Doesn't matter. They're dwarves. Um, and then goblins, which are sort of the like mascot of Pathfinder. I love the Pathfinder goblins. I love goblins in general. I think goblins are just wonderful. Um, Uh, you know, they like to throw fireballs and get in trouble and, um, do mischief. They're goblins, you know? Like, you've seen a goblin, you've seen a Pathfinder goblin, you know what they do. Um, I love a goblin. And then, uh, gnomes. Here's the deal with gnomes. Um, so gnomes are these, like, colorful little people who are connected to the fey world. They're kind of, like, part fairy is their thing. And the gnomes in the Pathfinder world, in Galarian, um are like they have this special connection but it also is sort of their lifeline is their connection to new and novel experiences if a gnome ever stops experiencing new things ever stops expanding their horizons um then they start to undergo what's called the graying where literally the color gets sapped out of them um uh, and that's like why so many of them go on to be adventurers is that they have to always be experiencing new things or or else they start to go through the graying process that sounds right in line with princess penelope t b h i am yeah doesn't it i think I think that Princess Penelope makes a lot of sense as a gnome all right, and we've got we've got our little person,
0: and I don't know if we said this on the last episode, but I would like to say that at least. of Princess Penelope's silhouette is massive hair.
1: Just big old wild child hair. Absolutely. (laughs) That also totally works for gnomes.
0: All right. And that was my addendum. The floor is yours to talk Pathfinder. I imagine most of what I'm going to have to say is about just uh, being a good player and tabletop RPGs very generally. So I'm curious to see where this episode
1: goes. Right. So in the time since we did that last episode, I started a Pathfinder campaign and I did it largely because of doing that episode like this is a way in which this podcast has had a really measurable effect on my life outside of the bounds of the podcast itself is I played as I did that episode and then I got really inspired to play in a campaign in Pathfinder Um, and so I started doing it um, and uh, we've done like 12 sessions so far at time of recording. And um then at some point in the last couple of months I started getting really into the lore of it, into the lore of the world of Pathfinder. Cause it actually turns out that it's really, really fucking cool. Um it's like such a cool setting. So uh Galarian, that's the name of the the world, although most of the actual gameplay happens on like the continent of Avistan. Uh it's kind of a kitchen sink setting. So, um They have stuff in the setting for just about any possible kind of gameplay you would want to run in, like, a fantasy setting. They've got all of the pirate stuff. They've got the Egypt stuff. They've got, you know, if you want to do the colonial Africa stuff, that's a bummer, but you're allowed to do it in the setting. They've got, like, Conan versus robots section in there. They have the, like, um, Camelot, but shitty. They have Ancient Rome, but shitty. They've got, like, the... um, uh they've got like a spaceship that crashed up somewhere in case you want to do that they have the lovecraftian gods they've got the like evil fascist demon worshipping empire and then right next to there you have the american revolution setting and right next to that you have the french revolution setting um uh like truly any they've got vikings they've got a part they've got a thing called the world wound that where just like demons are pouring out of it they've got the steampunk part Um, I could really just keep going like this forever. The not-so-secret island of assassins they've got. They've got... I'm gonna stop, I'm... They've got a lot of stuff. Um, and that's, like, part of the appeal. Um, is that there is material in Galarian for, like, any kind of adventure that you could possibly want to do. One of my favorite weird little fun facts about the setting is that in the world of Pathfinder, um... There's people living on the moon and on Mars. Sorry, that's not even like the thing I was going to say, but it's true. There's um, in the Pathfinder setting, in like the the cosmos of it, the cosmology of it, Earth, like our Earth canonically exists. It's not important to like 99% of gameplay, but technically our Earth canonically exists in the Pathfinder universe. Um, Which you would think would be, I mean, I heard that and I was immediately like, oh, is that so that they can do all of the Lovecraft stuff? And it turns out that no, they can do the Lovecraft stuff anyway. The reason that it's set in 1920s, uh, like in the real world, is so that there's like one adventure path where Baba Yaga can send you to Russia to kill Rasputin. And I'm not kidding, Um, in case you want to do that kind of an adventure. Um, It's really built to be full of adventure hooks for whatever you could want to do. And that is really true through both editions. Something that I have found about 1st edition Pathfinder as well specifically um, is that they're really, really good in Pathfinder 1st edition um, at writing like monster entries, writing descriptions of monsters in a way that gives you like a hundred plot hooks per monster. Any given monster description that you look at, they've clearly written it with the intention that GMs are going to read that and and see stuff in there and get inspired to run a little adventure about it and find ways to drop this monster into their setting. In some ways, it almost strains credibility for me how many plot hooks there are per monster entry. I really love this setting. I think it's really cool. I think it's really open. You can really, really tell that a lot of, like, history nerds worked on it. Um, When you start looking at the history of Galarian, um, it all, like, makes almost too much sense. Like, I'm kind of bored by all of the history stuff because it's just, like, names of people who did things and major events and, like, sure, cool, there was a big meteor that killed a bunch of people and that's why you have like, ancient ruins that can, people can run around and like, ancient artifacts that people can uncover that are, like, way more powerful than anything that exists now. And that's cool. It is. Um, I am really much more interested when I listen to these things about not, like, how did Cheliacs come to become the fascist demon worshippers as much as I am interested in, oh, there's a country of fascist demon worshippers. How do we like work with that. You know, what what storytelling opportunities does that prevent, present us with in the present? And the logistics of that are less important to me, but you can really, really tell like that all of these places were made by history buffs who really cared about it and wanted to make something that was cohesive, that had a lot of cause effect storytelling that um, that made sense. Avistan, the main continent. We talked last time when we were putting our party together. There was a lot of aquatic imagery in it. There was a lot of aquatic theming in it. We had a lot of characters who were based around water. And there's a lot of water in Avistan. There's a lot of places that we could set it. Um I I like went into this almost like I'm going to pick a set of things and a set of like specific locations within Avistan to pitch our characters being around. But it's almost difficult to do just because there's actually, like, so much water in it because they want to make sure that pretty much anywhere you go, there's, like, a bunch of different terrain types that you can interact with. Um, But I think some special interesting places that we could set it are uh, any of the, like, piratey areas. There's a bunch of piratey stuff down in, like, the Shackles and um, up in Conqueror's Bay, things like that. Um, there's Absalom, which is like mega fantasy New York City, which is all set on like an island. So there's an island, so there's a lot of water around there that could work. Um, uh, I think that the Mwangi Expanse could be cool. That's like, um, that's Pathfinder Africa, basically. I don't know anything that's happening around Lake and Karthin. There's a lake there. I don't know what it is, to be honest with you. I couldn't help you with it. Um, I don't know. I've just said a bunch of things. Are there any any of the things that I've said in there hooking your interest? So
0: I think really nailing down setting and all that stuff would be great for the DMing episode as opposed to You're the right. party episode. I, I think that I
1: want to get at least a little bit of a sense. Yeah, uh, if, it, if it helps to build
0: you... The pirate one and the New York one were the ones that interest me the most. Something about fantasy New York sounds cool.
1: Cheers. Let's, let's, let's do Absalom. It's the big city. Um, Our characters are in fantasy New York. It's everything that you could possibly want is in Absalom. Um, It's the capital of the whole place. And also it's on an island. So that's interesting for, um, that's interesting for Spoon because spoon has like this relationship with nature right and Absalom has been very colonized for a long time so i'm thinking spoon showed up here recently and maybe came from like the neighboring verderan forest and like just took this trip to absalom but i can i think like princess penelope would be right at home here having like maybe grown up here even yeah, okay, so last time we came up with three characters, and we said this time we were going to come up with three more characters, and that was going to fill out an entire party. Mm-hmm. So um, last time we did uh, one and one, and then we collectively came up with a third. Do we want to repeat that this time? We each come up with one, and then uh, collectively we make a third one? Yeah, I was thinking
0: uh, second verse, same as the first, do what we did last time again.
1: I love it. I think what we did last time worked really well
0: all right cool do you have any ideas because i already have some if you need
1: time to think oh sure go for it actually real quick can we go over what class was everybody last time we decided i think spoon was what a druid
0: spoon's a druid princess penelope is a the detective
1: class investigator yeah
0: and malawi tau is a barbarian perfect Okay, yeah, if you've, if you've got something, go for it. Okay, so I have me. two ideas. And the first one, I think, is more so just a cool idea. I don't know if it really fits in what we already have. And the second one, I came together in real time and was upset I didn't put it together in real time on the podcast. I was really happy I came together. So I'm just going to talk about both, and then I'm probably going to go with the second one because I feel like it matters more. But my idea mm-hmm. for the first one was... Demons are angels that were cast out of heaven. And what if you took that, and it's a story about, like, the liminal space of time, and, like, you plucked one, like, kind of Schrodinger's cat, which we talked about in the last episode, I think. My microphone cut out then. But Schrodinger's cat, neither alive nor dead, right? So you pluck them from time, and the the falling hasn't happened, so they could go either way. So you've got this angel demon on the path, right? Pluck him out of time. Now I have twins. I have one kind of cheeky dick rogue twin, Kauru, and I've got one plucky good boy nice paladin twin, Keely. And I, as a player, think it would be fun to play twins. I would like take notes every time whoever like wins the argument, either Kauru or Keely, and whoever Hmm. has more come end of campaign. When they eventually get split back together, if the cheeky dick one more often then they become a demon and if the virtuous paladin one more they become an angel that was just an idea oh, i have cute. for a character i don't know if that makes sense here
1: um i don't either yeah but <laughs> which
0: is why i came up with the second one who i had no name for so i was like what does this party need what do we not have we don't have a healer we don't have a cleric and i was like okay Uh, So we've got aquatic things going on, and I need a holy man. I'm thinking missionary trip, but that gets icky real quick. What about someone who was on a boat, and that boat crashed, and they were saved as a direct result of divine intervention? There is no other explanation than, like, God, God picked their soldier that day. And they were the only one who survived, and then they dedicated the rest of their life to the clergy. I don't know a lot about the specific gods of Pathfinder, but some god picked them, and now they're a very devout person because a miracle saved their life. And I was like, okay, that's neat. I have an origin. I don't have anything to play with. And the thing I thought was interesting then, particularly with the nautical themes that we have, is I think this character would have a lot of survivor's guilt and feel very like ashamed and fearful about getting on boats and most of the like shame There, like it's a mix of survivor's guilt, but the shame is that in the boat was the origin of their faith. Why am I so worried to get back on this? I know God has me in their hands. And so there's a lot of internal guilt about that. And I think that is something that almost every character in the party is primed to talk about and deal with and help this character process and also a holy man next to a shark and a robot and a princess seems like a lot of fun that's the one that makes more sense for the setting IMO I
1: like that a lot I think we are sort of a little bit missing a like a wisdom character basically here um is we have sort of a motley crew. And I think that this could be a good candidate to tie them together. And in exchange, you get this crew who can convince them to get on a boat basically. Yeah, that makes sense to me. What kinds of tenants would you want in, I know you don't know all the Pathfinder deities, um, but I do. And so just trying to figure out who, what kind of a, god this cleric would worship what kind of tenets do you think that this cleric would be pursuing in their work
0: my immediate thought and this is why i don't play religious based characters all that often is because i have a very like loose attachment to my own religion and i don't like to talk about it with other people it's a very personalized thing but i think that they have a god who is about second chances and redemption, and so someone who likes to be around, like, the, the messy, the forgotten, the doubt on their luck, the people making bad decisions, and wants to help them see that there's a brighter path, that's the first thought. I don't know, does that make sense for any gods? Are there any forgiveness sea gods in Pathfinder?
1: Yeah, my first thought was, um, uh my first thought is uh Shaylin, um or maybe Saren Ray. I'm thinking you know the neutral good gods um both of whom I love. I think Saren Ray Saren Ray is like about redemption that's her whole thing um but she's also so much more warlike than I'm used to. Um uh I think like no, I think that that's probably if we're going redemption wise, second chances, it's definitely Saren Ray. That's the way to go. She's kind of your prototypical um uh paladin god. She's called the Dawn Flower. She's her she has the domains of like fire, healing, the sun, glory, um, things like that. Uh doing a lot of restoration, uh, etc So I don't know, is that is that does that feel like around the ballpark? Mm. Do you think you could just, like, list off a few gods
0: for me real quick?
1: Yeah, there's a bunch of them, but, um, here are some others. Um, Desna is the dream of, uh, is the the goddess of dreams, stars, travelers, and luck. Um, you have, uh, who are some, um, Milani is the goddess of devotion, hope, uprisings. Alcetta is doors, transitions, and years, um... Brig is Clockwork, Invention, and Time. Savannah is Illusions, Mystery, Reflections. Um, uh... Grotus is Empty Places, Ruins, and Oblivion. Hanspur is Rivers, River river Travel, and Smugglers. We have, uh, Gorze, which is Nature, The Weather, and Sea. Ferazma is Fate, Death, Prophecy, Rebirth. Um... Nature in the Kaden. Sea.
0: Tell me about that one.
1: Yeah, um uh Gorze Gor- Go- Goz-ray? It's Gozre. Um So Gozre is like one of the first gods of all time. They are um uh they appear in like two different forms depending on whether they're appearing um about uh the 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 wind or the waves. That's their two that's their two sides It's whether they're appearing as the, the 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 wind, um in which case it's um Torethia, I think is her name. She who guides the wind and the waves, and then um uh and then in the father it's Iazome, this like bearded old man. Uh one of the first gods, very much about nature and the like primal world and about certain animals, that sort of thing. And he said there was Hope and Revolution? Yeah, Milani, Devotion, Hope, Uprisings, um, the Everbloom, is the patron of all of those who fight against oppression and unjust rule, Um, real goddess of, like, uprisings and and freedom fighters and things like that. Also, she's got great tits. Oh, sick. Love (laughs) the goddess of great tits. (laughs) Honestly, they're all so hot. I mean, they are gods, right? Yeah. Three of them? Three of the, the, the good gods? Oh my god. Sarenray and Shailen and, um, uh, and Desna are in, like, a triad. It's, like, three goddesses. And they're all sucking and
0: fucking. Oh, very spicy. I don't know. I think I was more caught up with like an internal thing to deal with and how it would relate to other party members that I haven't spent a lot of time thinking about who this guy is on a personal level and why a god would pluck this one person amongst the whole ship of people to be selected to follow in their footsteps so I am a doing a thinking.
1: Right. So yeah, that's, I think the first question we have to answer is like, what is special that made this character or like, do, does he know? Is it maybe like a mystery for us to solve later in the DM episode?
0: I think it's a mystery. I think, I, I think it comes up often that he he doesn't know why, doesn't know why. And that does, that is a thing that keeps him up at night. I, Cause I like, I like that his faith. Is an important part of him but it's also something he's conflicted about because the divine intervention was only for him and that's there's there's some hang-ups that would happen there that would become rich for role play
1: sessions okay so let me let me ask you then um is this a god that's like appropriate a god that makes sense for the situation is this a god who is Like, not the god you would expect. Maybe even a god that is, like, evil. A god that our character doesn't like. Um, What does it mean that this character was plucked out of obscurity by the god of poison um, uh, in order to survive the shipwreck? Or is it, like, a god that our character would endorse but doesn't... Hasn't learned how to?
0: I think I, like unexpected i don't want to go full like evil but yeah i like unexpected and i like doesn't because i like i don't picture this person having had any faith before the divine intervention which is like yeah gods exist whatever and then oh my life was literally saved by one that that interests me and not knowing how to be a disciple also interests me and one that doesn't make sense interests me. I think these are the these are the things I'm cooking up in my brain. I need to come up with a name and ancestry for this nerd. Mm-hmm. I will say, just while we're killing time, I did very light research into Pathfinder ancestries, and I found out that they have rat folk. Don't remember what their official name is. They do? They have rat folk. I was so disappointed to find out they weren't just a one-to-one ripoff of Skaven from Warhammer. They're their own thing, <laughs> and they're unique, and I was like, damn it, the Skaven are so cool!
1: Okay, let me pitch you as a goddess then, and then I promise I'll stop if this one doesn't resonate with you. Um, but let me pitch you on uh, Nadiri, who is the goddess of, like... Of drowning and, like, romantic tragedy, um, lover's suicide, things like that. She loves sadness. She loves when people die tragically. She loves drowning. She's not evil. She just likes, you know, tragedy TM, um, in the same way that, like, people love tragedies.
0: I don't initially know what to do with that, but I like this pick.
1: Isn't it interesting then yeah. that she would save you from drowning?
0: Yeah. Oh, I. You know, I. I think she saw that he was gonna be conflicted and feel weird about it for forever, and was like, "Oh, it's <laughs> perfect." That's kind of interesting. My most perfect soldier, one <laughs> who's conflicted about me. Oh, the drama! I love that. That's so good. Yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense to me. Do you? I. I'm gonna just think a little bit about name, ancestry, and other stuff. Uh, do you wanna? Do you wanna go with yours?
1: Sure. I was spending most of that time thinking about yours. But is it safe to assume that our sixth party member is gonna be a swashbuckler, or should I should I take swashbuckler while it's here? Oh yeah, I did forget to say it. Just it makes the most sense that the one we do together is
0: swashbuckler. That's that's the class we were right? both
1: initially excited about. It makes sense. So yeah, we're we're gonna do it that. It would that be one weird together. for their not to be a swashbuckler okay in which case it really feels like what we're missing here is like a control magic user um i'm thinking like you know what let's go old school i'm gonna make a wizard i think all right i don't know much about pathfinder
0: wizards are they like the same as D D wizards they have to study for they have to work
1: for it right big academic they have to nerds. work for it they have to work for it that's the one um Give me a minute to stare at my book for a second. You go for it. Okay. So, I think that my character, um I'm going to the wizard and I think probably like a control wizard themed around water. I think I am going to I'm not going to subvert it. I'm going to give her a bunch of water themed spells and I think that she um has really grand aspirations of doing High magic, but maybe isn't necessarily as skilled at academia as most wizards really need to be. And so, as she's doing the work of being trying to like learn how to be a wizard, she's finding that she really loves the magic, but she's really bad at the like tests and the like structure of a traditional wizarding school. And so, she decides in order to fill the gaps in her knowledge that she has to go out into the world and um, uh, the best way for her to do that is to join a ship because she's a water wizard and she figures that maybe she can get a, some work aboard one of them and do sort of an on-site like learning program thing and that's why there's a first level wizard out in the world but also um that she's you know she has control over the elements themselves over the very water and she maybe has some sense of like she comes from a wizarding school where they think really strongly about, they think really fondly of, of wizards and maybe less so of other people. And so she comes out onto this ship and thinks that she's just so much better than everyone else. And so um, immediately she like assumes that she's the leader of the group, but it's like very clear to everyone all of the time that your cleric that you've just created is in fact the real leader of the group and you play that for comedy at first there's a lot of like comic relief scenes of our character just kind of like being a fail daughter and clearly wanting to get everyone's attention to be the um to be the leader uh, but like completely failing to do so and pretending that she knows so much when clearly she's like halfway to being a dropout um And then, like slowly over the course of time, you come to understand that she really cares about her work and that she, maybe more than most people, is actually on the boat in order to learn things and in order to... Um, get on-site knowledge, and that means that she is really trying to get to know everyone else on the ship. She's taking a lot of initiative to get to know everybody else and to understand who they are, and that way she gets to be kind of like a social glue that brings people together and who like, gets to understand them, even if at first it seems like she doesn't know what she's doing or um, is kind of bumbling buffoonery about it. I'm thinking like a, like a JP from Fresh Meat that's a show that I've watched one season of so far and can therefore make a reference about.
0: Well, that all feels really well put together, so I kind of don't have a question to help flesh it out. That all makes a lot of sense. His name. Thanks. I
1: can just say things and make them
0: sound reasonable. <laughs> His name is Fabian Seasparrow. Fabian sea Sparrow. Elf Twink. Am I a fan of Twinks? No. But for the Legabata out there, here you go. You're eating good.
1: Do you? I'm going to go with human for mine. I want at least one human on the team. Yeah, there needs to be at
0: least one human. Is there more you want to get out of your character that I should help you with? Or does that feel good to you? I feel like I want you to ask me
1: at least one question I'm not expecting.
0: Oh, okay, got it. I remember it because we haven't spent a lot of time talking about just, like, being a good player character. And I, I promise this does lead up to a question. But I have a philosophy that if you... Or someone who's like struggling with. I'm playing the same character a lot. A good thing to help you get out of that. Is to think okay. Who's an actor who would play this. Or better yet. Who is a writer who would write this character. So for my critical role. OC Galette. Who I think your new wizard would get along with swimmingly. In my brain. He's written by Harlan Allison. So his dialogue does not initially feel like. Just what comes out of my head. Because that's a thing I keep in the back of my mind. So. Who do you think would write your character to give them a specific diction? That's a great question.
1: Strange poll. I'm going to say, um, written by Olivia Wilde, who is not, as far as I'm aware, a writer. Um, she is a director. She directed Booksmart, which is one of the best comedies of the last 10 years. Um, and I think that if I could channel some of that energy... Um, I think the way that she can make characters fucking up funny, but not let any of that detract from their pathos, and in fact, let the comedy become a part of the pathos in a way that doesn't feel unreal or distracting, in a way that feels natural, in a way that feels like once you arrive there you're surprised you weren't already seeing it that way until right now. I don't know. There's a lot of directors that can, there's a lot of writers and directors who can do funny and connective at the same time. And I spent a lot of time thinking about that answer, trying to figure out an answer that was less embarrassing than Joss Whedon. Um, I really thought about it, but no, but I think there was something in particular about Booksmart that felt so like, such a grounded evolution of our understandings of the characters. I think I would want to recapture something like that for her. All right. That's a, that's a good answer.
0: And now we've got, you know, this really helps because uh, I start from the bottom. So I'm like, well, what's she like to be around? And you start from the top. So you're like, what's up with their relationship to God?
1: Right. <laughs> we did the thing. That's why we work together well as podcast co-hosts. The podcast. It's good, comma, actually. <laughs> comma, actually. um, For our third character, we do at this stage want to be looking out in all of those 51 potential things to see which of Vodka's little options she may have picked up. Or they, because we haven't decided a. To- pronoun for our, but we've got, we've got swashbuckler. That's what we have so far for our third character. So
0: here's, here's the initial pitch I have for swashbuckler because my first idea was, oh, rat folk swashbuckler. And I realized that's just Reepy Chief from Chronicles of Narnia, Devon, you little Christian boy, you, but here's my idea that I want to roll with. I think it would be cute and fun to have someone who is around Penelope's age, who is like a, a stowaway, a little Rapscallion Street Urchin. Ooh.
1: I think that is so cute. I would love to have two different child characters in the party, and they're, like, best friends or possibly bitter enemies or possibly, like, one of them thinks that they're best friends and the other one does not think that they're best friends. You know, there's a lot of different relationships that a couple of kids can have in a party. But, oh, I love little Rapscallion Swashbuckler. Do they, do they have, like, an actual sword? Probably, right? They're on the adventuring party. Yeah, do swashbucklers fight there. with
0: anything else?
1: They can they can sort of fight with anything that's a... Any weapon with finesse on it. I don't really know how the
0: class works, so I've just been a Magellan a big sword the whole time.
1: I think probably the standard would be like a rapier. Yeah. Like a, you know, a, a swashbuckling sword. A three musketeers sword. A three musketeers sword... I'm looking at our, um, our list of prompts for a prompt to decide which one I want to go with. And I think that if it's a little child, I want to go with the deed to a family estate. Okay. All right. Here's my thought. Is that we have this, like, this little kid. They're kind of feral. They're obviously, like, an urchin. They're poor. They're... Like, stowing away on this ship because they have nowhere else to be, like, the one, like, valuable thing that they own in the world is the deed to a piece of property, an extremely valuable but also, like, ethereal thing. They have to protect it with their life, and maybe their, like, goal is to get to the place where they can use the deed, but they don't actually immediately know where it is. They don't know where they're from, they just have this deed and their like personal quest is to figure out where this where this home is that they in theory have and in theory are supposed to own but nobody like recognizes the name on the deed.
0: My initial thought was he can't read but
1: do you know who can? Royalty. I think most people in Galarian can read but I buy that he can't. And that he would think about it being a royalty thing, and he would go to Penelope for it. Yeah. I think that makes sense. So is that why he's hanging out with Penelope? Is just because she knows how to, like, read maps and stuff? Is she teaching him to read? Hmm.
0: How I pictured it initially in my head is he shows up, big head full of hot air, really talking himself up, and, like... The deed falls out, and she's like, Oh, you're from Gerpterderp? And he's like, How'd you know that? And she's like,
1: I can read. And he's like, You know the secrets of runes? Okay, so... So she does recognize where he's from. Yeah. But, follow-up, he's just a kid. He doesn't want to, like, show off the deed because he doesn't want... to... like, put himself at risk like that. And the kid... Ace Washbuckler is a notorious braggart. So he tells everybody, like, oh, I am, like, a, I have this n- major estate in Herpetognerp, and nobody believes him because he's just, like, being all braggadocious. Except for Penelope, who does believe him. And of course, he's a kid, so he can't actually, like, pay for passage directly there he's working on the ship until they happen to go close to there because that's the best option that he has available to him. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I want to figure out what role he plays in the party socially. My initial thought was
0: he's kind of annoying and the reason you have to answer, why are they hanging out with another child? Is he just keeps showing up? (laughs) Like they're like, all right, picks up my head, drops off here. Stay. Goes to next adventure hook. Guys! You thought I wouldn't find you. But I am, in
1: fact, (laughs) an expert tracker. That's really funny. It almost conflicts with my first instinct, which is that this kid feels like he's actually driving the narrative in a lot of ways. Like, this kid has a built-in plot hook, a thing he is trying to see. um, But I don't think it actually does conflict, because I think that this kid is while everybody else is, like, pursuing all of their storylines, this kid has, like, the major side quest in his back pocket, and he's, like, always working towards that, and it, like, sort of ties the different adventures together, is that this is a recurring theme that runs through all of them. This is, like, the thing that he is always trying to get the crew to do. That's interesting, because I thought
0: Princess Penelope had, like, the main the main quest line in her backstory with the... uh, I think we said voices in the fire, but I've retrofitted that to be whispers on the tides and it comes from the beast below. And we'll
1: talk more about that in depth in the
0: DM episode, but I always pictured her as being the one.
1: I think she is the main one. I think that I see his thing as more of a side quest, but, like, if not the emotional center of the thing and certainly not the plot center of it i think it is something that can provide a thematic center maybe or a um an idea that gets to pop up in a low stakes way again and again like you know in season one of doctor who how uh, uh bad wolf keeps showing up and it's not like it's not the main plot. It's just a thing that you see over and over again, you know? And except, like, maybe in a more developed way where it has themes and symbolism behind it.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, we have a lot of characters who don't know where Home is, and he also yeah. doesn't and is on a quest to find it, so it just it makes sense that this would be a recurring bit. We have the thematic, and now you just need to make that, you know, in a literal sense. Because sometimes they don't match up one-to-one. It's the ending to season 20 of South Park, where Heidi goes on a nice speech about taking responsibility for voting for Trump. But she's been in an abusive relationship the whole time, so having that character say, I got addicted to being a victim is a shitty take on a literal plot. I've been watching a lot of South Park. I've been watching so
1: much South Park. We'll do the episode one day. Season 2 is the South Park season.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And I think some of that could be worked out in the DM episode. What other bits do we need for this uh Well obviously we need name and ancestry, but what other bits of like character conflict and relation do we
1: need to work out with this guy? Just to confirm about personality, he's like a little tiny seahawk, right? Yes. Absolutely. Okay, great. Just absolutely fully like, haha on guard with his like little tiny child rapier but surprisingly confident with it keeps kicking cute, kicking adult people's ass and it's kind of like everybody misjudges him at first and it's like how do you do that kid
0: you just uh you copy all the adults <laughs> that's right i want to know how seahawk mini to be named i want to know what, how he relates to spoon because I, I don't initially know how... Because I can kind of picture everything else, but that one interests me.
1: I actually am totally convinced that he has an immediately really positive relationship with Spoon. I really think that he latches on to Spoon, and Spoon absolutely takes him in. I see that as a very, like... Not a parental relationship, exactly. I don't imagine Spoon talking that much. But maybe... A guardianship of sorts. A, like, these kids are of the world in a way more than the adults are. And Spoon is excited about that. Or not excited exactly, but very in their element about it.
0: Because I have been picturing Spoon and Malawi as the parents here.
1: Yeah. I, I, I hold with that.
0: Yeah, that makes
1: sense to me. I think that Spoon is a grounding force, and no matter how rambunctious Mini Seahawk is, um, it does not throw Spoon even a little bit, and that's something that Mini Seahawk needs.
0: That's good. That's cute. Let's come up with a name.
1: Yeah, because Mini Seahawk is starting to get silly. Okay,
0: here's the thought. He's got A very stupid, like, real birth name that is one of the few things he remembers. And it's, like, Elton John's name, Reginald, I think. So, yeah, like, Reginald. But he goes by something fantastical and fun and captainly. He introduces himself as Storm Commander Raven, Master of All Tides.
1: Right, but his real name is Lindsay. (laughs) Yes, his real name is Lindsay. Which I really like as a name, by the way, for men. And I think that part of his arc, obviously, is that he grows into his name. Or he doesn't, but he picks a new name for himself, and it's less stupid than Storm Commander whatever. Storm Commander Raven
0: Lord. Ruler of all tides. He can't remember it. It changes a little bit
1: each time. (laughs) That's really funny. Okay. Um uh are we doing one fun fact a piece at this point or do we want to say some more things about playing characters
0: yeah i think i'd like like i'd i yeah i want to talk a little bit more about playing characters before we get to one fun fact
1: yeah it seems like you do there's like so much advice about playing D and like rpgs in general out there in the world Um, I don't know really how much I'm going to be able to add that's going to be stuff that people haven't heard before, but I do think that I am, like, a reasonably good player, Um, and a lot of this is probably just going to be repeating things that I've said in the other Pathfinder episode, but truly I think just, like, so much of it is about um, initiative, about out-of-character communication with your other players, about treating the game like a fictional thing that you are writing together and not, I think the less you treat it like an experience that can be spoiled and the more you treat it like a collaborative thing that you are making together, the better off you'll be. I think that you want to, you want to give your GM gifts with little hooks. Um, You want to give your GM as many hooks as possible, but you also want to make your own story. I think that the best, best campaigns are almost always the ones in which the players have their own goals. And, um, and when those goals work harmoniously together, if you have all six of these characters have different goals that are all at odds with one another, then that's going to create like potentially some interesting drama in the campaign. Um, but you really, I think ideally want most of the time for all of your characters' goals to more or less line up with each other and to have the drama emerge from places where you find out they don't fit later. One of the best pieces of game advices I ever got was when I was in like middle school, I had this friend, seriously, one of my middle school friends said this thing to me that I have been thinking about ever since that, where he said that um, good role playing isn't saying I wouldn't do the quest because my character wouldn't, I'm not going to do the quest, my character wouldn't do that. Good role playing is coming up with a reason why your character would do the quest, even if it seems like they wouldn't. Because you want for your character to be engaged with the story. You want your character to be making decisions that drive the plot forward. And then, once you're already on the quest, maybe you can find some moment when it's really dramatically appropriate for your character to have a conflict with another player Almost never should that be like, oh, your character says another character is being stupid, and then nothing happens. That's almost always boring. But often, it's very exciting. One of the one of the best campaigns I ever played. You and I played in a Star Wars campaign. Um, I was I was GMing that campaign, and um, there was one of the characters who turned evil at the end of. We did a trilogy, and at the end of the second episode, um, he turned evil. He turned towards the Sith, and we did a time break between episodes and at like everybody turned on him at once he like he was like i'm making a decisive action he stabbed you in the chest with a lightsaber he stabbed your character in the chest with a lightsaber and it was like oh the character has turned coat we are doing a different thing now um and everybody like turned on him and fired back and there was a fight and the party broke up and we did a big time jump and he came back after the time jump. He had been off on his own, so he had gained a bunch of solo levels. We, I, like, gave him, like, four times as much XP as the rest of you did. So he was a bunch of levels ahead of everybody. Um, but all of you had something that he needed. So he came back, and none of you could kill him. You tried. The second you showed up, everybody tried to kill him, and he wiped the floor with you. So you couldn't kill him, but he also couldn't kill you. And so um, it was like you. you guys were like, okay, we're going to kill you at some point when you have your back turned. And he was like, okay, I won't turn my back. And the rest of the campaign was played out with the full knowledge that you would kill him if you ever got the chance, but he just wasn't letting you. And that to me was a really interesting case of inter-party conflict. That was like one of the best conflicts that I ever had in a game because it was like motivated by the characters making dramatic decisions. And the story flowed, from the point of characters doing things motivated by their characterization um and it it was never just like oh he's saying evil things it was like it was like he took an action that affected the rest of the party and it had consequences immediately so you want your characters not just to be making active steps but also to be making Decisions constantly that affect the story in one way or another and you probably don't want the turncoat part to happen Until quite a ways in which means when you're setting up these characters from the get-go This was a long roundabout walk to getting to you want in the beginning most of the time for the character goals to largely align with one another Which is part of why we have all these characters whose goals are about um, Finding homes and traveling together why we found reasons for all of them to get stuck on a boat um, that's a couple hundred words for me about playing characters well in the story game. I'm sure I have more to say, but that's the first few things that come to mind.
0: Yeah, to jump off that, I just want to say I think the most boring, like knuckle grinding, I will audibly groan and lose interest form of inter-player conflict is when everything has to stop and become a morality debate about the efficacy of killing. Because I promise you, I promise you, It is not as interesting as you think it is. We are only going to come with, like, intro into philosophy level debates and people have been having these debates from the dawn of time. It's fucking boring and I hate it. And like Amber said, if you must have that, have an action take place. Actually, do something mm-hmm. in the literal space of the game yeah. to make the scene more interesting than just the debate we have all had a thousand times. I beseech you, players out there, if if it's going to come to that, I don't know. Uh, for some reason, I'm like, well, throw the torch on the ground and make a big explosion so the goblins can run away, and now the rest of the party will have to deal with that instead of just pausing the game to have a big, boring talk. I hate
1: it. I think a lot of people have been trained into feeling bad about that particular kind of thing, because that's a very like, that's a very like I punch the sleeping dragon sort of an action, right? Where it is actively causing problems for the rest of players. And I think there was like a particular era of Dungeons and Dragons where it's like an adversarial relationship between the players and the GM, where it's like, it's like the GM is presenting you a puzzle to solve. And if you, there's a sleeping dragon, and you punch the sleeping dragon, and it wakes it up, then you've just made the puzzle worse for yourself, and therefore you have committed an act against the other players at the table. Um, But I think most of us nowadays don't play the game like that. Most of us now play the game intending to get some kind of a story out of it. And with that in mind, I think that, like, often punching the dragon, like, ...throwing the bomb down to let all the goblins get away... ...as long as you have other tables at... ...other players at the table who are going to be okay... ...with... ...having actions that tell a story... ...instead of trying to perfectly solve the puzzle... But that's better storytelling, yeah.
0: Yeah, it comes down to this thing of... ...there's this moment in Red Dead Redemption 2... ...where Dutch makes... ...a stupid fucking decision. He shoots a man in broad daylight... And gamers tend to think about mid-maxing and optimizing things and going, well, tactically, that's a stupid decision. But from a character standpoint, it is the perfect decision for Dutch to make at this moment. And it is important to recognize that characters fuck up. There are flaws to them that will propel them to do bad things. Fabian Aramis Seacaster, in season two of fantasy high gets his dad becomes like a patron to warlocks and they find him and join him on a quest to go fight his dad's old rival he gets them all killed and he does that because they're like oh you're not as special as your dad used to be and fabian has an ego who can't handle that when your characters make mistakes it's potential for growth and things that are more interesting just you don't you can maximize on the sheet and then fuck up in the role play both of those things can work at the same time but I promise it will be more memorable that way.
1: I always want my characters to fuck up so bad. It's so much more interesting when they fuck up. And sometimes
0: the dice will fuck you up. Sometimes sometimes the dice know when to fuck. Thrash sharp skills. Go back listen to the thing. I rolled ones at the perfect time to roll ones. The story is better that way. Mm -hmm. It is Mm -hmm. better than if it just worked out.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: but yeah that's just a bit about being a player being a character and a lot of this does come down to like what your table wants out of the game and amber and i are operating under the assumption that you play like us and you want a story more than like a combat system so that's the advice that we would give but these are all things that need to be discussed in your session zero, so that's some DM stuff. Well, I look for—I actually really look forward to doing the DM episode. I have things to say about DMing.
1: Yeah, I think that'll be exciting. All right, so are we at one fun fact apiece? I think we're at one fun fact apiece. I think Lindsay has a stuffed animal. I'm trying to think of like a a good Pathfinder monster, but as a little stuffed monster. Um that he keeps on his shoulder um with a little eye patch on it. Like his like his parrot, but it's just a little stuffed animal and he like talks to and about it sometimes.
0: Oh, that's cute. Fabian has a candle making hobby.
1: I like that. Ranks in trained in whatever that is. <laughs> is that it? Are we doing one fun fact for each character per person or? I think we can be good there. Did you name cool. your
0: wizard? Did I miss her name?
1: Shit, I may not have named her. Um, you're right, I did not name her. Her name is Andrea Old Forest.
0: Andrea Old Forest. And now, Amber, into our new segment. <laughs> Insert the sound, because it's time for... <laughs>
1: Dude, what the f***? In Yali Art, the semi, or top, is usually done. It was fun! Their relationship break. is cute, damn it! I <laughs> ship that!
0: I ship it? Oh, I do ship it. That's a good point. So I think for this episode, there isn't really a fandom, so this leans more into just talking about a character's sexuality and identity. I think that's more where this section would be. Mm hmm. I think Fabian. Sea Sparrow. I don't think that was the last name I gave it the first time, but whatever. Elves have dumb names. I think. He's a little gay boy. He likes dudes. He
1: likes quiet poetry and a night in with a husband. <laughs> That's what he is about. It's gonna be tricky with these segments to not make every single one of my characters a lesbian. I'm so me, branded all the time. I mean, it is the first time we're doing it, so
0: you're allowed to be self-indulgent in a Pathfinder episode where we're making You're right. Characters. Pathfinder
1: episode, um, of course she's gay. Obviously she's gay. Of course she's going to be a disaster lesbian. I'm a zillennial. God, don't ever let me say that again. A zillennial? That's gross. That don't say that. Immediately regretted it. Thank you. Bad. <laughs> Bad, Amber. <laughs> and I think...
0: And for Raven Lord, Thunderclap, king of all of the sea, I think he's Lindsay. a kid.
1: Discovered. He's a child. Yeah. He doesn't know what he's doing yet. He doesn't know what he's doing.
0: I think he may be, I think, a crush on Penelope, and that is a thing that would only happen if two real-life player characters have a decision and decide whether or not they are comfortable pursuing a relationship within the game. So I think there that, might be a crush right. there, and that could be cute, but we don't know, because it's not a game we're actually playing. Mm-hmm. And that's the segment, Amber, which means we do the new fun, crazy close out. So join us next <laughs> week, audience, when Amber tries in vain to get us to talk about gem and the holograms, but we
1: actually talk about Um, oh yes. Uh see isn't that fun? Isn't it fun to do it? Yeah, it is fun to do. I've it. been having fun the whole time. Um instead we talk about Gilligan's Island. Oh boy you love Gilligan's Island. I love Gilligan's Island. I don't know
0: anything. I know the skipper and Marianne, and I think Marianne gets cut out in like season two or something.
1: Um, just season one, the professor and Marianne get lumped into the rest. Um, they're sidelined in the first season in the opening credits. So, well, you know, we'll learn all about that next time. In the meantime, why don't you stop by my merch store, our merch store, collectively our merch store, where we will be selling um, copies of the Dungeons and Dragons Fifth Edition rulebook everyone's favorite edition of their favorite <laughs> tabletop RPG. Okay, uh, we'll see you then. Be good players, uh, be excellent to each other, and party on, dudes.
0: Uh, 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 I thought I had a thing. I didn't. Uh, have fun. Be nice. Bye. Bye.